Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 278 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, Jimmy will be answering listeners' weird questions. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. It's another fifth Friday, so we're bringing you another episode of Weird Questions with Jimmy and Cy Kellett of Catholic Answers Live. Jimmy, what weird questions are you answering this time? We're going to be talking about whether an extraterrestrial could become Pope. The Omicron COVID variant, could Bigfoot be an alien, conjoined twins and marriage, evolution and morality, ball lightning, and proxy sacraments for Alzheimer's patients? Hmm, some great weird questions. So let's hear your answers. Hello and welcome to Catholic Answers Live. Thanks so much for being with us here on this uh, Friday afternoon. So glad you're here. Maybe it's Friday evening, maybe it's Saturday morning. I don't know, but we're happy you're here. Uh, I don't know if I said it. But I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and our guest this hour is Jimmy Aiken, which is a very good thing because we're going to do weird questions with Jimmy Aiken. Hi, hey, Jimmy Aiken. Hey there. How's it going, Cy Kellett? Really, really good. Um, this is a very popular thing. People love the weird questions. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we got some real weird ones uh -huh. coming yeah. up. Yeah. Um, also, there, is there a new um, Star Trek series out? Do you happen to know? Oh, uh, well, there's sort of two at the oh, moment. Oh, really? Um, one of them is Star Trek Prodigy, which oh, yeah. is right. uh, aimed at a younger audience, but is meant to be, have crossover appeal for adults. And then there is Star Trek Discovery, which has a new season out, and it's aimed at pleasing no one. <laughs> I gather you've seen some of it? I, well, not this season. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. I've seen enough of the previous seasons to tell me I'm in no hurry to see the fourth season. That's so, I, so funny. I kind of, I emotionally was there, Jimmy. I was like, I just, but I hadn't got it up into my head yet that they just, uh, there's nothing there that really grabs you. Like, I, oh, I got to see this new season. Yeah, yeah. No. All right. Characters are, are not, uh, they're also vulnerable. You know, oh, they yeah. all are so emotionally insecure and constantly having to affirm each other emotionally. Yeah. And it's like, dude, Captain Kirk and Mr. Spock and Dr. McCoy did not need constant emotional reassurance from each other. No, but this is not heroes. So you're saying in the future they have Gen Z people. The future has moved. <laughs> well, actually, generations are thought to by some to in, in, in some extent go cyclically. Yeah, right. So that um, you have generations that are more um, with it and together and self-sufficient. And, and then you have a cycle that generations proceed through. Uh, yeah. But that's a theory. Like fashions. Fashions yeah. seem to do that. Like the 1970s are back, mm -hmm. which I'm very happy about. I thought the fashion of the 1970s. I mean, you can't get a tie Even the too disco wide. era? <laughs> oh, yeah. Come <laughs> on. That was some good stuff. Uh, especially wearing uh, plaid with stripes and stuff. It was a beautiful era. All right. Here's some weirdness. You ready for some weird questions? Yeah. Weird questions uh, with Jimmy Aiken this hour and next. And a very fortunate thing happened. Jimmy Aiken just happens to be our guest for that. Uh, Paul. Oh, Paul starts with a little flattery. I love these episodes. I've got a question for you. If. 
humanity ever encounters another a intelligent species in outer space or in the inner earth or whatnot, would someone from said species be potentially eligible to be elected Pope, assuming they met the other qualifications? Or is that office explicitly limited to humans? It is not uh, explicitly limited to humans. There is no magisterial statement that says only a human can be a pope. Um, on the other hand, <clears throat> it is assumed that every pope will be a human. And in part, that's because so far humans are the only life form we've encountered that uh, are fit subjects for baptism. And you need to be baptized right. before you get ordained bishop, before you become the pope. And so... Um, if we met another species, uh, intelligent species, whether from uh, outer space or another dimension or the inner earth, because we never want to forget about the inner earth. I'm so I was going to say, I'm so glad this guy mentioned that. Yeah. Like as another possibility. Yeah. People always forget that aliens could be coming from. I don't know. Well, like, in fact, there are theories that that is where yeah. some of them are coming mm -hmm. from. Um, but um, if we met another intelligent species and they asked to be baptized, I, I'm. Pretty uh, I, based on a variety of factors, pretty sure the church would say yes to that. That if they yeah. say if they if they say I want to be baptized, I want to become a Christian, then they're a qualified candidate to receive baptism, right? Because they're freely choosing it, and they may or may not have sin that needs to be forgiven, but they could still become a member of the body of Christ and receive graces in that way. So, um, so uh, because baptism does more than forgive your sins. Could they then be ordained to the Episcopal office would be the next question. And that's a bit trickier. Mm -hmm. And the church would have to make a determination on that, which cannot be foreseen at this time because it's pure hypothetical. But uh, if they could be ordained to the Episcopacy, then they could be elected the Bishop of Rome and thus the Pope. All right, Paul, uh, thank you very, very much for that question. Thank you for not forgetting uh, the possibility that aliens might come from inside the earth. It's like that 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 movie. He's in the there, house with you. Yeah, there's even <laughs> there's there's even a or there's even a or that's an urban legend, though. Oh, they, they didn't. I thought they made well, they probably done it with movies, too. But yeah. it's an urban legend oh. where the babysitter calls the police and they say the call's coming from within the house. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, the uh, uh, now I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. That's OK. I'm sorry. It'll That's... come back when it's hungry. <laughs> Very good. It's weird questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour and next. Some really uh, good ones, including one coming from someone's. Oh. I know there was a train came back into the station. Yeah, there is a term for the idea that the so-called aliens are actually a breakaway civilization living here on Earth with us. They're called crypto terrestrials for oh. hidden terrestrials. Oh, I, I like it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, uh, all right. Uh, we'll come back with that uh, question from someone's 10 year old brother right after this. Welcome back. Catholic Answers Live, Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. Uh, so we won't be taking calls, but we got a lot of weird stuff coming up. This one I'm very happy about. It's, it says... Actually, before we do that, you just asked a weird question in the break 
that I, might be of interest to our audience. Oh, okay. That's fine um, if you want to talk yeah, about so that. Why yeah. don't we talk about that? Because there's this new uh, COVID variant out there right now called the Omicron variant. So I was asking you what I know about it. And I said, well, based on the slight amount of information that's available and that I've encountered, it sounds like, and this could be wrong because I could have encountered the wrong press reports or mm -hmm. this could have, it could be overturned by further findings. But what I've heard is that it sounds like the Omicron variant is more infectious, but less harmful. And that's actually what we would expect with, with variants of COVID over time, because that's the normal trajectory of respiratory viruses. Um, viruses uh, like this come into, or and other um, parasites, viruses are a kind of parasite. Other paras when a parasite comes into you, its principal thing it's interested in typically is completing its life cycle. And there are some parasites that will, uh, parasites tend to affect the behavior of their, uh, of their hosts in one way or another to help them complete their life cycle. Mm -hmm. So they want to get in, they want to use you to reproduce and make more copies of themselves. Yeah. And um, one uh, parasite <clears throat> that affects ants, it, basically it causes the ant at night. Now, during the day, it doesn't do anything to the ant. The ant's going about doing its business. Wow. But then at night, it causes the ant it affects the ant's brain. So it causes the ant to climb up to the top of a stalk of grass and bite down to hang on. And it just hangs there all night. And it doesn't let go until the sun comes up and it gets warm. And wow. then because the sun would cook the ant, it lets go and goes about its business as an ant. Now, the reason it makes the ant... So imagine a virus affecting humans yeah. that would let you do your job during the day. Right. But every night it forces you to go up to the top of a building and just stand there. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's essentially what this is doing to the ant. So weird. Yeah. Now, the reason it's doing it to the ant is because this parasite needs to get into a sheep or a cow to complete its life cycle. <sighs> oh, how clever. And so it wants the ant up at the top of the blade of grass so that when a sheep or a cow comes by, it will eat the ant and then it can get into the animal's gut and complete its life cycle. What? That is wild. And, and then the sheep or cow, you know poops it out, and it and gets it picked up by ants. So yeah. that's how the cycle works. Well, every parasite has a cycle of some sort that controls its, its uh, growth and reproduction. Well, respiratory viruses are like that, too. They want to get in you. Yeah. They want to hijack the machinery in your body to make copies of themselves. Right. And then they want those copies to get out. But they don't need to get you eaten by a cow or a sheep for that to happen. No. Instead, so they don't affect your brain and make you engage in this weird behavior. Instead, they affect you mechanically to cause you to engage in a different behavior. Sneezing. Oh, so then they can and get spread so they around can that get way. Spread around. Also, they actually there is evidence that with some of these, they actually do affect your brain. Um, sometimes when. Um, when people come have come to the office before COVID, uh, come to the office sniffling and sneezing and saying, don't worry, I'm no longer infectious. I've said the germs make you say that. And <laughs> that's and, funny. And, and it's true. Oh, because yeah? one of the things that some viruses do in humans is they affect human, the human brain in such a way that it makes the humans more sociable. 
So How that weird. so that they want, even though a person may normally be a wallflower that stays at home, yeah. they get infected. And even before they realize they're sick, <clears throat> they decide, I need to go out and go to a party or home, have a party at my home. Wow. And, and this happens with influenza. So they actually can affect human cognitive behavior. But fundamentally, the, a respiratory virus doesn't need you dead to, um, to complete its life cycle. What it wants you to do is uh, let it use your internal machinery to make copies of itself and then expel those copies out into the environment where they can be caught by other people. Yeah. So having the host dead is not in its interest. No. Right. In fact, if anything, keeping the host alive and infectious for a longer period of time will serve its evolutionary interests. Right. And so there is selection pressure on parasites like viruses, once respiratory ones, once they mutate and become able to infect humans and may be deadly because yeah. of the mutations, there is actually selection pressure for them to become more infectious and less deadly over time. Oh, right. So that they can stay in you and keep you infectious longer and make more copies of themselves. And that's why the common cold is today at this stage of evolution it's quite infectious, but utterly, yeah. it's just an annoyance right. to, to the vast majority Clever of people. Clever virus. Yeah. And, and so eventually, regardless of what happens with vaccines or other treatments, that's the trajectory we would expect COVID to follow. And 100 or 200 years from now, it'll just be part of the background common cold. Yeah. Right. All right. But the thing about these variants, though, is as you get new variants, the names for them get scarier. Like <laughs> like Delta. That's not that scary. Omicron. That's terrifying. Uh, no, not to me. It's like Megatron. I no, think it's. See, Omicron, there's two O sounds in Greek. Yeah. There's A and O. Yeah. And, you know, just like we have a long O and a short O in English. Well, in English, we only have one letter O for both the long and the short O. Uh -huh. In Greek, they have two letters. They have the little o yeah. for uh, for the ah sound, and they have the big o uh -huh. for the o, o sound. Okay, and so to distinguish the two letters, they call them in Greek. We call one of them little o, and one of them big o. They're clever Greeks. And so in Greek, little o is o micron. Oh yeah, omicron, a little micron. Yeah, and big is mega. So the big O is Omega. Oh. I am much less concerned about the Omicron variant <laughs> than the I would Omega be the variant. Omega variant. Yes, I see that. <laughs> Once we hit the, <laughs> the Omega variant, we're dead. Although if they follow the naming conventions, by that point, it should be less threatening. Uh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. The names get scarier, but the actual viruses get less scary. Uh, Cardolan asks this question. My 10-year-old brother... And I would just add this, Cardolin, every other male on Earth would also like the answer to this question. My 10-year-old brother would like to know if it's possible that Bigfoot could be an alien. Other people have wondered. It's interesting you mentioned other people have wondered this because back in the 1970s on the TV show The Six Million Dollar Man, mm -hmm. they actually had some episodes where The Six Million Dollar Man met Bigfoot. How did I miss and, that? And it, it played by Andre the Giant. Oh, nice. And it turned out that not only was Bigfoot an alien, Bigfoot was an alien robot. 
Oh, so th- that's why Six Million Dollar Man is the greatest show ever made. Yeah. I mean, come on. So so uh, your 10 year old brother might want to check out some of those old Six Million Dollar Man episodes in terms of is it possible? Well, it's going to depend on what you mean by possible. It's certainly logically possible. <clears throat> There's no contradiction in terms between the term Bigfoot and the term alien. So it could be logically possible that Bigfoot would be an alien. And in fact, there are people in the uh, in the uh, Bigfoot community who think that Bigfoot may be an alien or something under the control of aliens or like an interdimensional being or something like that. And so that theory is out there in the community that looks at these issues. And personally, you know, I think it I I haven't studied it in detail, but I find it implausible that there would be an so there okay, take a step back. There are lots of animals that haven't been discovered yet. Yeah. And these are sometimes called cryptids. Bigfoot would be a cryptid because it hasn't been discovered by standard science. Sure. And one of the reasons uh that it hasn't been discovered is because uh, we don't have a dead Bigfoot body, which mm-hmm. would be we've got fuzzy photos and things like that, but we don't have a dead body. And typically, in order for a species to be recognized uh, by science, you need a dead body. You need what's called a voucher specimen oh, to yeah. vouch for the fact this is wow. a real animal. And um, so there are lots of real animals. In fact, we have not discovered most of the animals that are on Earth yet, but that's because they're microscopic. Yeah, this the the you need for an animal to exist. It needs a breeding population, just like we were talking about with with parasites. Right. They need a population where they can, especially if it reproduces sexually, you need a population where they can encounter each other and mate and reproduce. And so you have to look for a not just a single animal, but for a population of them that could sustain itself over time. Otherwise, the animal will go extinct. So you actually need a fairly sizable population of animals if they're going to survive over time. And that means we shouldn't be looking for just one Bigfoot. We should be looking if it's a if it's like some kind of hominid or, you know, member of the ape family, yeah. we would need a bunch of Bigfoots so that they could uh, reproduce and maintain their population. <clears throat> well, if they're bigger than humans... They're pretty hard to hide. It's hard to hide. Yeah. Now, I acknowledge the U.S. is a big place. We've got lots of woodlands, but it's improbable that there would be an undiscovered uh, giant great ape yeah living in the united states and canada for decades and remain undiscovered i mean if nothing else we should we you would expect we would find skeletons right you know uh like we find skeletons for bears and cougars and other things and we could get our voucher specimen that way so it's not probable it's not impossible but it's not probable that an animal that big mm-hmm. would be living in our area of the world with all the technological sensors and cameras and, yeah. you know, people having forest 
traps. I mean, they'll they'll have camera traps in the forest where they'll to survey the local animal population. The camera will have a motion detector. It'll go off when an animal passes by and it'll get a picture of an animal. They can tell what animals live in this area. And thus far, no Bigfoot. Thus far, no Bigfoot. So it's not likely that, um, that uh, a large ape would remain undiscovered today unless it's paranormal. Do, 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 do. Unless it's working for aliens or mm. it comes from another dimension or something like that. And so um, it, so one way of squaring the reports of Bigfoot with the fact we haven't been able to get a voucher specimen would be to propose that Bigfoot is not just a big terrestrial ape, that it is something more exotic than that and could be connected with aliens or interdimensional travel. What if there was an alien species that just really loved vacationing in the American Northwest? Mm-hmm. They like they like the this is like their Tahiti, mm-hmm. and they just come and hang out in the American Northwest every now and then. Well, there's there as they say in Latin, "de gustibus non est disputandum." There's to be no disputing <laughs> about tastes, uh, including where you go want to go for vacation. By the way, did I get my plural correct? Bigfoots. Um, or, or is that a, is there no, a controversy no, 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 over that? No, no, Bigfoot's is fine. All right. Um, so is octopuses, by the way. Oh yes, people like to say octopi. Yeah, but, but it's this word comes from Greek roots, not Latin. Uh, so yeah. you wouldn't want octopi. If you were being hyper uh, faithful to the Greek, you might try octopodes. Um, oh. But um, an octopode that but, makes sense. But really, this is an English word now. Marine biologists talk about octopuses. Yeah, as, as did Ringo Starr. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's that. That was it. not plural. That was possessive. In an oh, Jimmy, you are garden. so good at grammar. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's you are correct. Because um, uh, that was a singular. It was an octopus's garden. Uh, I'm, all right, I'm going to read you this uh, uh, question because this it says Father Guillermo, mm-hmm. and what does MW listener mean? Oh, Mysterious World. Oh, listens to Mysterious. Oh, okay. So I saw this question posted in Twitter and thought, now this is a Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World kind of stuff. This is Jimmy Akin Mysterious World kind of stuff. If you had conjoined male twins, Mm -hmm. could one get married and the other... could one get ordained or one get ordained and the other... I read that wrong. Mm -hmm. I apologize. Uh, Does the extent of conjunction affect the answer uh and uh, i didn't leave you i left you 13 seconds to answer that question well so. that just gives us a, <laughs> it's a good tease uh, a, a nice cliffhanger yeah yeah father guillermo thanks uh, very much for the question and we will uh, take this break don't forget we got a free ebook we always got a free ebook for you over at shop.catholic.com where there's also about a million things on sale uh 10 25 even more uh, percentages is off uh, but get that free ebook over at shop.catholic.com. Right back with more Jimmy Aiken. No, I gotta say, I keep saying Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. More weird questions with Jimmy Aiken on Catholic Answers Live. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Jason H., Mike P., Eric H., Sean T., and Clayton R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World and all the shows at StarQuest. 
You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you by Great Lakes Customs Law, helping importers and individuals with seizures, penalties, and compliance with U.S. Customs Matters throughout the United States. Visit GreatLakesCustomsLaw.com and by Deliver Contacts, offering honest pricing and reliable service for all your contact lens needs. See the difference at DeliverContacts.com. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. Weird questions with Jimmy Aiken this hour. Uh, this weird question comes from Father uh, Guillermo, who wants to know if conjoined male twins could uh, live such that one was ordained a priest and the other was married. So um, the can they be married question is uh, a delicate one. But the answer and, and the extent, extent of conjoining will affect things, because in order to uh, be able to be married, you have to be able to perform the marital act. Mm-hmm. And if their bodies were conjoined in such a way that they could not perform the marital act, then they would be then they would have, in canon law terms, um, antecedent perpetual incurable impotence, which is an impediment to marriage. Yeah. So, but assuming their bodies are not conjoined in a way that would prevent them from paying the marital debt, they actually can be married. And um, the so it's a little delicate and you don't want to let your mind go too far in that direction. But, yeah, they can be married. And in fact, there can be conjoined twins who have been married, um, conjoined male twins. Uh, Ng and Chang Bunker are famous as this. They were famous in the uh, 19th century. They were conjoined twins from Thailand or Siam, as it was called, and they were the original Siamese twins. That's why the conjoined twins are often called Siamese twins. It's because Ng and Chang Bunker were the, they were from Thailand, but they immigrated to the U.S., and they were very famous. They, like, traveled on the showbiz circuit and circuses and things like that. And so they were very well known. And most people had never heard of any other conjoined twins. So conjoined twins became known as Siamese twins after them, after Eng and Chang. And Ng and Chang were both married to different women. And between the two of them, they had 21 children. Wow. So that answers one question. Yeah. So it can. And then there's nothing, no objection in Catholic theology to that. It's. It it does involve some delicacy and discretion, but yeah. it it it's possible. Sure, and so it, they can they if they could be married, well, they could also be ordained. Yeah. You could have two conjoined twins who are both male who get ordained to the priesthood, and that would be fine. And so both of these situations are possible, and there's no intrinsic reason you couldn't have one of them make one choice and become ordained, and another make the other choice and become married. It would be very unusual, and is certainly a bishop, because bishops are in control of who gets ordained, would want to review the situation and say, is this really the best path here? Wow. But there's nothing intrinsically impossible about it. So in principle, however advisable or inadvisable a given bishop might judge it to be, in principle, it would be possible for one of the twins to be ordained and the other twin to be married. Father Guillermo, thank you for uh, that uh, question. That's uh, one we ha- I have not heard before, and I really appreciate the chance to get to talk about it because it's weird questions with Jimmy Aiken and talk about things that we don't usually get to talk about. Uh, let's see who we got next. Roseanne is next, uh, Jimmy, and she asks this. 
I know that it is fine for Catholics to believe in evolution, and I do. But recently, I have read some academics who argue that human morality is a product of evolution. That is, people who acted in antisocial ways were ostracized by society and more likely to die. And therefore, people having our current moral orientation evolved through natural selection. Can this view be reconciled with the Catholic understanding or is it in opposition? It's it can be reconciled with it. In fact, it's what you would expect. So the way um, the way the church views um, uh, human morality, morality, because we're the only animals on Earth that have it fully, um, is that God built certain principles into our nature. And if we act on those principles, things are going to go better for us. So, you know, this common appeal when you're talking about, let's say, the Ten Commandments. Okay, if you go around killing people willy nilly or committing adultery willy nilly or stealing willy nilly or lying willy nilly, it is going to go badly for you. And it would for society. Sure. Society didn't did those things. Be like San Francisco. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. And, or, you know, Milwaukee or something. <laughs> and so um, and so, yeah, the God designed humans in such a way that if you uh, obey certain principles that are built into human nature, it will go better for you. Yeah. Now, he didn't design everybody that way. So, for example, there are creatures on Earth that don't have an equivalent of monogamous marriage or even marriage at all. So the the, thou shalt not commit adultery would not apply to them. For example, um, salmon. Okay, right. Salmon, they swim upstream at their at their mating time. The female lays eggs, the male fertilizes them, and then they both die. Yeah. Okay. That is not a good method. I mean, I'm sure it's good for salmon. Salmon is not for humans or octopi. Octopuses. <laughs> Octopodes. <laughs> um, they, so they uh, mate, and then typically the male dies immediately. So he's not around to commit adultery with anybody. Oh. And the female lays the fertilized eggs and watches, the, or has the female has the fertilized eggs, I should say, and watches them. Yeah. And she watches them and she like blows water over them to keep them oxygenated and she protects them from predators. And then they start hatching and she sees them hatch and then she dies. That is so weird. Yeah. Now. Yeah. What happens if you cut the female octopuses? There's a possessive. If you cut the female octopuses optic nerve. And so she doesn't ever see doesn't ever see them hatch. She doesn't die. She doesn't die. She keeps living for years. And so it's the female octopus death is a visually triggered response. It's a reflex because now she served her function. But notice how adultery would make no sense in this context. No. Right. So not everybody has these has the same principles built into them, but we do. Right. And things go better for humans when they do. Now, how did God get those principles there? Well, um, according to the standard scientific account, humans evolved over time. And according to the standard theological account, God simply used evolution to accomplish his ends. And so that's how God got the principles there. But from an evolutionary theological perspective, he he it's part of his overall providential design sure. and so forth. So there's perfectly compatible. And then once the principles are there... What's going to happen? Well, if humans are have been built 
to in such a way that murder and adultery and stealing are harmful to the human community and someone starts doing those things, he's going to be ostracized. He's going to be punished. He may be put to death, which would inhibit his ability to survive and reproduce. Right. So there becomes selection pressure on humans to not do those things. And you would expect evolution over time to, unless conditions change, to reinforce those behaviors and make humans less prone to doing those things over time, which may be why modern 21st century humans are actually way less violent than <laughs> humans were in the past, because there's been selection pressure on us to be less violent and to commit murder less and to, and to commit war less and so forth. Steven Pinker, uh, the uh, the um, a cognitive scientist and linguist, has an excellent book called um, The Better Angels of Our Nature, where he documents how over any time scale you want to pick from tens of thousands of years to thousands of years to hundreds of years to century to a given century to just decades, the trajectory in human society is towards less violence. No matter what you hear, you hear the reverse hyped up. It's, oh, we're so dangerous and warlike today. No, we are way more peaceful than right. we used to be. And this is what you would expect, given that these um, uh, that these principles have been embedded in human nature. You would expect them to encourage people to do what's better for them over time. And the humans that evolve to do that will succeed more. And right. so this is simply God's plan working itself out. It's kind of like originally, you know, eyes would have been impossibly complex for certain early life forms. So they didn't start with fully developed eyes. They would have start, started with light-sensitive patches yeah. that over time became more sophisticated and grew into eyes. So once you have that principle of light sensitivity in, uh, embedded in, an, in a creature's nature, you could expect it, assuming nothing changes, you could expect it over time to become more refined sense of vision. Right. And in the same way, once you have the essence of the Ten Commandments embedded in human nature, you would expect over time, the because it's in our interest to do those things, that's how God made us, you would expect a, a more refined uh, applicability of that to manifest over time. And we've actually seen that. Yeah. At least until conditions changed when the Internet showed up and suddenly porn exploded in an unprecedented historical way. The consequence of which is what do you think that makes us uh, uh, more violent or? No, or you... we're less violent over time. But uh, as far as fidelity to one's spouse. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought we were. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you can even see like the, the like if someone were a murderer at a young age. The likelihood is that person is going to get into a violent conflict yep. and die before they reproduce or yep. spend their life in prison. And in so in which case, they're likely not to, not reproduce, to reproduce either. Right. Yeah. That's very interesting. Uh, who is that? That was Roseanne. Roseanne. Thanks. Yeah. But uh, these two things go hand in hand. They're exactly what you would expect on God's design. This uh, next question comes from Susan, uh, who's uh, expressing interest in a phenomenon I am not familiar with, Jim. Oh, really? So, you know, this is oh, new to me. OK. What evidence is there for <clears throat> ball lightning? I saw it roughly 20 years ago and was fascinated. But at that time, there were no pictures or good theories. 
So um, for the education of psychology. Yes, please. I, um, I wasn't aware that this was a thing. Yeah, ball lightning is a um, is a reported phenomenon where electrical discharge occurs in spherical form. Uh-huh. And so the the spheres can d- range in size. Uh, they they're I mean they're not huge, but I don't know if they get up to basketball size, but they oh, can be like baseball okay. sized and things like that. Yeah, and um, ball lightning is reported to behave in very interesting and strange ways. So you can be sitting inside a house, and let's say it's got glass windows, and the ball lightning can come through the window and oh. bounce around in your house. And, I would not and like that. No, and it has hurt people. At least these How are according to the historical reports. Um, now, in terms of the evidence for ball lightning, ball lightning is well accepted in the scientific community. We okay. have enough reports and even some photographs and, and things like that, that it's there's I'm unaware of there being any serious doubt about it being real. And there have been attempts actually as far back as at least the 1970s, 1980s, to try to reproduce it in a lab. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is that ball lightning is rare, at least at altitudes where it encounters humans. I mean, who knows what happens up in the sky? Superman. It's possible that ball lightning could be responsible for, like, the reports of Foo Fighters. Oh, yes, right. During World War II, which were balls of light that seemed to shadow airplanes. So it's possible that um, so, that there are more ball lightning encounters up at altitude than there are down here on the Earth. Sure. But it is uh, regarded as a real scientific thing. It is also a mysterious scientific thing because it's so rare, we haven't been able to effectually study it and determine exactly what causes it and what conditions are necessary. There have been attempts to do that, but thus far as based on the reading I've done, it doesn't appear that anybody has solved exactly why this happens. But that means it's mysterious. And yes, I'll be talking about it in the future on Mysterious World. Um, That's why uh, something like ball lightning, which Mm -hmm. I I was not aware of, like when you see those videos from like uh, uh, jets, you know, the the Navy Mm -hmm. jets that they're seeing aliens or what. UAPs. Yeah. It just seems to me there are so many phenomena that we don't know about or that that the person who leaps to it's alien. I hate to say it, but yeah. it, maybe it's not. Maybe that's a ph- well, an electrical and, phenomenon we're not familiar and, with. And and in the UFO community, uh, serious ufologists take seriously the idea that yeah. some reported UAPs may be not all of them. I mean, not like the Tic Tac that didn't look like ball light. No, sure, sure, right. but. Um, but that some UAPs, especially things that just seem to be glowing circular lights in the distance, may be natural phenomena like um, ball lightning or earthquake lights, they're, they're called, which are thought to be electrical discharges caused by geological oh, yeah. things happening under the ground. Which you would kind of expect. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of magnetic material in the in the ground that yeah. once it moves. Well, and just yeah. even like granite, you know, yeah. grinding against itself yeah. in a tectonically active region yeah. that produces energy. And if some of that energy is electromagnetic, it could result in an electromagnetic discharge. Could ball lightning be the solution to another mystery? Which uh, one? Spontaneous human combustion? It's possible. Um, it's, it's possible that ball lightning could ignite a human and 
thus cause them to spontaneously combust, just like getting struck by lightning. Yeah, would do that. Can yeah. do that. Although ball lightning is not transient <clears throat> to the degree that regular lightning is. Regular lightning, wham, it's all over in a flash, literally. Yeah. Whereas ball lightning can persist. Wow. So that suggests that the, the balls of the lightning are um, like a, a plasma, the uh-huh. electrically charged plasma rather than just a, a single discharge I gotcha. and that they can endure. And that could allow at least for a few seconds and that could allow them to trigger a, uh, a the combustion of a human. But I don't think spontaneous human combustion has a single cause. Mm-hmm. I think there are multiple causes, including smoking in bed when you're drunk. Um, <laughs> That'd do it, yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it, ball lightning could be responsible for some cases. All right. Uh, thanks, Susan. Appreciate the ball lightning question. Uh, Frank asks this. If parents and godparents can present a newborn child for baptism, could someone, say a son, ask a priest to forgive the sins of their mother or father who are essentially, due to the advanced nature of Alzheimer's, babies? So this would be a um, when he's when uh, when Frank says uh, forgive their sins, uh, that would presumably either be through baptism Mm -hmm. if the parents have not been baptized yet or through the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Mm -hmm. Since if they're effectively mentally at a cognitive level equivalent to a newborn, they're not going to be able to do confession. Yeah. Well, if they're already baptized then absolutely you can request the anointing of the sick for them because if they're already, at least if they're already Catholic or, you know, like Eastern Orthodox or something, they're a member of a communion that has the anointing of the sick. And unless they've said otherwise, then it is presumed that they would want done for them what you would expect as a member of a Catholic or an Orthodox community. And that would include uh, the anointing of the sick. So, yes, yes okay. if they're already baptized now, in the case of a Protestant, it's more dicey because Protestants don't have the anointing of the sick. And so, I mean, they may have an equivalent in some like charismatic circles and stuff. They may anoint people with oil, but it's not the sacrament. Mm-hmm. And so and they don't typically associate it with the forgiveness of sin. So um, in that case, uh, what canon law would want is for the person prior to developing Alzheimer's to <clears throat> to have expressed an interest mm-hmm. in having this done for them. And if they had expressed an interest in it, then yes, the priest could go ahead and give them anointing of the sick. What about baptism? Well, okay, if they're not baptized, what canon law would want is for prior to baptism, for them to have expressed some interest in becoming a Christian or being baptized or language like that, in which case you could go ahead and baptize them since you had their consent. If, on the other hand, if they have not given their consent in one of these ways, either as a non-baptized person to being baptized or as a baptized person who has indicated they don't want the anointing of the sick, then canon law does not want them given to them. It, it, and so that's the way canon law is written. Now, does it have to be that way? Because this is weird questions. And and the person is asking oh, not, could it, is yeah. not asking, what does canon law say right. about these situations? He's saying, 
could someone do this? And I've actually devoted a significant amount of thought to this uh, because my mom was a non-Catholic who, uh, who she was Protestant and she died unexpectedly. Yes. Um, and there was a question of anointing the sick. Similarly, my dad, uh, when he d passed on, he um, for a time was in a coma and I and there was this issue of uh, is it possible for him to receive the anointing of the sick uh, if he doesn't wake up and request it? Right. Well, he did wake up and I talked to him about it and I said, look, this doesn't mean um, this doesn't mean you would be Catholic. It just is a way of asking for God's grace. Would you like this? And even though he couldn't really talk, he said yes. And I had a nurse there as a witness. Okay. So he definitely got the anointing of the sick. Um, <clears throat> well, I've also been consulted by priests about similar situations because they get their parishioners come to them. They say, my sure. loved one is in a situation and I'd really like for them to receive the sacraments. What's possible here? And I think it is possible theologically not canonically. I see what you're saying. But yeah. theologically, I think it's yeah. possible to administer the sacraments on a conditional basis and in these situations and say, okay, if you are open to baptism on whatever deep level that is, I baptize you. Or if you are open to the anointing of the sick on whatever deep level that may be, I anoint, I anoint you. And so I think it is possible to reverently, theologically possible, to reverently administer the sacraments in these situations on a conditional basis that respects the free will of the person uh, yeah. who, who is un incapable of speaking for themselves. Um, and, um, and so because it's, it, that's what the condition is. If they're open to receiving God's grace in this way, then I'm making it available. If they're closed, well, then I'm not making it available. Yeah, and so the, interesting. The, con what a... the conditionality ensures the respect the church wants for the person's uh, uh, free freedom in this in the matter. Right, right. But it also allows this. I mean, the person. Uh, we don't know what they're what they're yeah. what they would desire at that moment, and we, so we don't. And if they recover, then you can say, "Well, here's what we did." what is your, you know, what is your decision now right, regarding right. all that? Um, wow. How interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to get Miriam's question in. I'm going to skip okay. to Miriam's because I think you can do it. Uh, there's been a lot of talk at my work about Mercury being in retrograde and that it makes everything on earth topsy turvy. Could this really affect things on earth? And, uh, she says, I, I thought this was completely unfounded, but then I thought about how the moon controls the tides and how people seem to act crazier when there's a full moon. Would love Jimmy's opinion on this. OK, so uh, the idea that the moon, the phase of the moon has an effect on human behavior is called the lunar effect. Yeah, like <clears throat> I think that's where we get the word lunacy, as a matter of fact, it comes from the, this idea. Yeah, Um the idea of a robust lunar effect on Earth and whether it like causes people to go crazy is disputed in the scientific community. There are studies that point both ways on this. Yeah. 
Also, it may not be it may be something as simple as like, well, more crimes get committed during the full moon, not because the moon makes people crazy because but because the you moon see. makes it easier to see as you're committing the crime. <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, so, you know, th- that's debated what, yeah. what effect the moon has with regard to that. It's certainly true that the moon has an effect on uh, on the tides. And on creatures that live in tide pools, yeah. whether it has one on humans is is disputed. When it comes to the sun, the sun actually has an effect that you wouldn't expect, a bunch of them. Um, it, what sun sign you're born in really does matter. Really? Yeah. There are statistically significant correlations between issues, uh, between things like neuroticism, educational attainment, um, but does that have to do with human seasons? growth? Hang, hang oh, on. oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Jimmy, I got curious. And and it is correlated with what sun sign you're born in. But there's the oh. music. So there's our new cliffhanger. Oh, da, da, da. We will be right back. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. I'm Cy Kelly, your host. And it's Weird Questions with Jimmy Aiken. Jimmy Aiken, senior apologist here at uh, Catholic Answers. And we're actually in the midst of a question. Miriam asked, there's been a lot of talk at her work, she says, about Mercury being in retrograde. And that's making everything on Earth topsy-turvy. She just wants to know, is that actually possible that there could be some celestial effect on Earth? Yeah. And she mentions, uh, you know, how like the moon has an effect on Earth with tides. And it's less clear to what extent the moon affects human behavior. There are actually scientific studies that point in both directions on that. And... um, uh, at the close of our previous episode, I was mentioning how the sun has an effect. And, and now that's obvious, you know, yeah. duh, that's why it's day yeah, or night. Right. Is well, the, the sun, yeah, there's that you know? effect, yes. So you've got all the day-night effects. But in addition to the standard day-night effects we think about, it's actually been shown scientifically that what sun sign you're born in matters, mm-hmm. that it has, uh, it, it has effects on uh, neuroticism. So it has psychological effects. It has effects on educational attainment. It has effects on uh, growth of the body and things like that. And and it is correlated with what what zodiacal sign Mm -hmm. or astrological sign the sun is in at the time of your birth. Um, But. It's not what you might think. This is not a straightforward validation of astrology because it turns out. It's not just the month you're born in that's important in this regard. It's which preceding nine months from your conception to your birth, where was the sun during that? Because Uh if you're in a northern latitude, then if, if if you are in the womb over the summer rather than during the winter, your mom is going to be exposed to more sunlight. And thus, she's going to metabolize more vitamin D from that sunlight. See, I never would have thought of that. you're going to be exposed to more vitamin D in the womb, which is going to have an effect on your body's growth and your neurological development and things like that. Uh And so um, the reverse will be true if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. If you're in the Southern Hemisphere during the Northern summer, that's the Southern winter. And your mom will be receiving less sunlight and you'll be receiving less vitamin D in utero. Mm-hmm. And so you'll have a flip in the meaning of the star signs between the northern and southern hemispheres. And if you're living on the equator, 
doesn't, doesn't matter. Make any deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably going to be born on a hot day. That's all we know. Yeah. Um, so there, there are, there can be indirect effects that are not immediately obvious right. from celestial bodies. And the question would then be, well, what about Mercury and retrograde? So we should mention what retrograde means. Retrograde is what happens when from an, from a perspective of a person standing on the earth, a star or planet seems to start moving backwards. backwards yeah. That's why it's called retrograde, because it seems to be moving backwards. And what causes that is um, Earth is passing it in its orbit. So Mercury is uh, is uh, has a little small orbit around the sun. It's like, uh, if memory serves, it's like 88. It's got an 88-day year. Mm -hmm. And so periodically, as Mercury is going around the sun... Earth is going to pass Mercury. Now, Earth is farther out. It's moving slower. But at various points, the Earth will pass Mercury or will pass Venus, the two inner planets. And when that happens, Venus and Mercury will look like they are starting to move backwards because we're moving past them. It's like when you move past a car on the freeway. Yeah, it looks like you. you it looks like that other car from your perspective in your car. It looks like the other one's going backwards as you pass them. And that's what's happening with Mercury and Venus. So do Mer does Mercury influence things on Earth? Well, there are uh, four forces, fundamental forces that are known to science at present. And um, and there are, there are hints of a fifth force and there may be others, but there are four we know about. Um, gravity, electromagnetism and the strong and weak nuclear forces. So the strong and weak nuclear forces, as their name would imply, only affect things on the nuclear level. They apply to the nucleus of atoms or the nuclei of atoms. So Mercury is millions of miles away. It's too far for Mercury to influence the Earth by the strong or weak force. Um, electromagnetism. Well, that travels at the speed of light, and Mercury is only a few light minutes away. But it's also tiny and yeah. it doesn't it only reflects light. It doesn't make its own, really. And so it's hard to see how electromagnetic radiation coming from Mercury could have much of an effect on Earth. It would be drowned out by all the electromagnetic right. energy we have here. And that's why we don't see Mercury in the daytime. It's, you know, it, half the time it's up there in the daytime sky and we don't see it because right. the light it's reflecting from the sun is washed out by all of the other light yeah. that's coming from the sun that makes it that scatters in the sky with what's called Rayleigh scattering, which makes it blue. Um, and uh, so it would be hard to see how Mercury could be having an electromagnetic effect on Earth. Um, then there's gravity. And well, gravity. Uh, also travels at the speed of light, and it, there is a very slight gravitational tug on Earth from Mercury, and when it goes retrograde, there would be an extremely slight gravitational tug on things on Earth, but that would presumably be washed out by much greater gravitational effects, just like the light from Mercury is washed out by the light from the sun in the day. The gravity from Mercury would right. be washed out by other things that are that exert much more of a gravita gravitational influence on Earth, like the moon. Yeah. 
And so there doesn't seem to be a good basis in the forces known to science uh, for saying that Mercury, unlike the sun or the moon, Right. that Mercury would have a notable impact on the Earth even when it goes into retrograde. Now, having said that, there could be forces that are unknown to science. Like I said, we've got some preliminary evidence. There may be a fifth. Um, but if so, we still don't know how it works. And even though there have been attempts in the last few decades to say, okay, let's forget classical astrology. Let's do scientific studies and see if we can form find correlations. Right. Um, and there have been some reported correlations, even though we wouldn't know how to explain them. Um, this kind of more scientifically based neo-astrology, if you want to call it that, that's based on scientifically establishable correlations. Um, I, I'm aware of that field. I haven't done a lot of reading in it yet, but certainly the idea that Mercury being in retrograde or being in a, any other phase of its motion with respect to the Earth it's not easy to see how it would have any notable effects on Earth. But I'm always open to seeing more science. Uh, hey, th thank you very much uh, for the question. That one came from, who Where? Who was that one come from? That was oh. Miriam. Oh, that was Miriam. Yeah, I got myself a little out of order here. But Miriam, thank you, you did. A, a very, very much for the question. I appreciate it. Those were great, weird questions. We'd love to get your feedback. And what are your theories about alien popes and the other topics we covered in the weird questions Jimmy answered today. You can let us know by visiting sqpn.com, sending us an email to feedback at mysterious.fm, sending a tweet to at mys underscore world, visiting the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord, or calling our mysterious feedback line at 619-738-4515. That's 619 738-4515. And I want to say a special word of thanks to Oasis Studio 7 for the video and animation work that they do on Mysterious World. You can check out their work by going to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jimmy Aiken. While you're there, please uh, like and comment on the videos because that tells the YouTube that you enjoyed them and and it thus it will share them with other people so you can help the gr the podcast grow by commenting and uh, liking the video. Also, I am trying to grow my channel, so I'd really appreciate it if you subscribe and hit the bell notification so that you always get a notification whenever I have a new video, whether it's Mysterious World or something else. And we're currently trying to get to 50,000 uh, subscribers at this point, so I'd really appreciate your help in getting there. So, Jimmy, what's our next episode going to be about? Next week, we're beginning a two-part look at what some consider the beginning of the UFO phenomenon. In 1896 and 1897, a series of mystery airships began being reported all over the United States. So what were the mystery airships? Were they extraterrestrial craft? Were they a hoax? Were they something very real but entirely different? Join us and find out. Folks, be sure to follow Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at Jimmy's YouTube channel, where you should remember to hit the bell to get notifications. You can find links to Jimmy's, Jimmy's resources from our discussion on our show notes at mysterious.fm slash 278. And remember, to help us continue to produce the podcast, please visit 
sqpn.com slash give. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is also brought to you in part by Rosary Army, featuring award-winning Catholic podcasts, rosary resources, videos, and the School of Mary online community, prayer, and learning platform. Learn how to make them, pray them, and give them away while growing in your faith at rosaryarmy.com and schoolofmary.com. And by Tim Shevlin's personal fitness training for Catholics, providing spiritual and physical wellness programs and daily accounts check-ins strengthen yourself to help further god's kingdom work out for the right reason with the right mindset learn more by visiting fitcatholics.com and by the grady group a catholic company bringing financial clarity to their clients across the united states using safe money options to produce reasonable rates of return for their clients learn more at gradygroupinc.com until next time jimmy aiken thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world thanks tom And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on StarQuest. If you've enjoyed Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, you'll also enjoy another StarQuest Network show, The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever you can find podcasts or at sqpn.com slash oz.